When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Pacific. Uh, a few things to talk about this week. One, the Lord Blackwood pin. Um, now, now is the time. If you want to get this one-of-kind, exclusive, limited pin, sign up anytime between now, September 29th, and October 29th. You have one month to join our Patreon at $10 or above, and if you do, you get not only this awesome acrylic pin of Lord Blackwood, the gentleman, the scholar, the sea slug, uh, it also comes with a little sticker. Uh, I'm so super-duper excited for these pins. Uh, I've wanted to do something like this for a long time, and if it goes well, like postcards, I want to try and do this every three months. Uh, so join us. Check it out. Uh, there's uh, a illustration of the pin um, on our Patreon now, and I'll upload photos as soon as they come in. Uh, but yeah, join now. That's patreon.com slash scp underscore pod. Second, October is Audio Drama Month, and every Thursday, uh, the SCP Archives will be airing an episode of another podcast. Uh, that way you have some new stuff to check out this Halloween. And this is an opportune time to tell you that I am releasing three new shows. Uh, the first is The Theater of Tomorrow. They're coming back with their um, Halloween edition, The Theater of Terror, on October 5th. Uh, I'm so excited for them to come back. I've had just a small part in uh, rejuvenating this show, and I'm so pumped. It's so cool. Check it out. Second, on October 6th, the very next day, uh, Out of Place, a new show that I've been working on secretly behind the scenes, is also coming out. Uh, and don't worry, both of these shows will have an episode drop in SCP, so just stay tuned. They'll pop up. Um, but if you're really eager to listen to more podcasts, uh, now you can, because I'm making a lot of them. Uh, and this November, the big show that I've been working on for so, so long, Margaret's Garden. It's a psychedelic, new, weird fiction podcast about strange things. Um, I'll tell you more about it very, very soon. Uh, but November 12th, keep your ears peeled. That is when it will air. So stay tuned. Uh, and without further ado, I want to give a huge shout out to this week's patrons. And that means you. Risa Castro. Alan Pervin. Joshua J. Ness, and Gregory Marcus. Thanks, guys. Your support means the world, and it keeps our show going. Without further ado, this week's episode. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. Item number. SCP-2315. 
Object Class, Euclid. Special Containment Procedures. SCP-2315 is kept in a standard containment locker at Site-17. Personnel are advised never to answer SCP-2315 except as required for testing. All calls received by SCP-2315 must be logged and reported to MTF Upsilon-3, the phone company, immediately for an attempt to trace the call. All personnel who report a call must then report their age, location of their mother, and status of relationship with her. Given the events of prior calls, pinpointing the source of the call is considered the top priority when SCP-2315 undergoes testing. Do not test SCP-2315 without informing MTF Upsilon-3. Description. SCP-2315 is a factory standard iPhone 6, with no noticeable marks on the exterior or interior of the object. The phone does not have a lock code nor password. SCP-2315 operates normally until placed in a room with a single subject below the age of 30, whose biological mother is still alive. When these requirements are met, the phone will ring displaying a caller identification of Mother. When answered, a voice, designated SCP-2315-1, can be heard on the phone. Subjects describe SCP-2315-1 as a voice of their mother and can converse freely with it. Triangulation methods have reduced the target range of the source of the phone call to somewhere within one kilometer of the subject's biological mother, but all attempts at pinpointing the call from there have failed to date. Subjects who met the above criteria at later dates will continue to receive calls from SCP-2315-1 at a rate of one per day. Subjects report feeling increasingly uneasy with each successive call. The general pattern of phone calls are as follows. The first call is uneventful. Although subjects report SCP-2315-1 as disapproving, but still supportive. During the second call, SCP-2315-1 talks about topics that distress the subject. Subjects report that it becomes increasingly more hostile throughout the call. SCP-2315-1 is both extremely hostile towards the subject and proclaiming its love and support for the subject during the third call. Common events include yelling, screaming, and requests for dangerous activities from the subject until the subject either hangs up or expires. The third call has been recorded as capable of continuing for hours without rest. Addendum Experiment Log 7 D315 was instructed to enter an empty containment cell holding SCP-2315 on a table and await further instructions. Microphones throughout the cell were used to record the call. Day 1 Researcher, Dr. Perry Subject, D-135. Begin log. What the? The phone's ringing and it says, Mother. Answer the phone, D-135. Hello? Thomas? Thomas? Is that really you? M- Mom? Me neither, Mom. I never thought I'd miss your voice so much. Neither did I, Thomas. You never listened to me when you were around. Huh? Oh, you heard me. You just had to spend all your time with those people, didn't you? Nothing good was ever going to come of it. Remember me telling you that? They're going to get you in trouble and drop you like yesterday's trash, and you just had to rob that store, didn't you? I know you told me it was an accident. You never meant to. Hurt that kind old man behind the counter, but you did, and your friends bolted, and here you are, rotting away, bringing shame to me and your family. If only you'd listen to me 
them, none of this would have happened. It's all right that you didn't have a proper job. We'd have taken care of each other until you did. But now, I've got to think just how lonely it is here without you. Every day. No, Mom. Please, I, I, I know things look bad, but I made a deal, Mom. I'll be getting out in a month. I can, I can come by and, and take care of you, and I'll be, I'll be better, I swear. No, no, Mom. It's a legit deal. I'm helping out with a few things for some people. Legit things. And I'll be, I'll be released for good behavior. You'd better not be lying to me, young man. No, no, Mom. I, I, I swear. It's the truth. Really? Oh, well, that's wonderful news. I'll, I'll get your old room all prepared, and we can be together as a family again. I love you, Thomas. I hope you know that. Yes, am Good. That's so good to hear your voice again, Thomas. End log. Discussion. D-135 was interviewed for identification to his biological mother and returned to his cell. Agent Washington was dispatched to arrive at D-135's mother's residence and observe if she undergoes any changes or shows awareness regarding the phone call. MTF Epsilon 3 is prepared to track the source of the call given the expectation that it will occur within one kilometer of D-135's mother's residence. Day 2. Researcher, Dr. Perry. Subject, D-135. Begin log. Hello? Thomas! Thomas, is that you? Yeah, Mom. Is everything alright? No, of course not, Mom. What is it? Are you... Are you... D-class? Uh, yeah, Mom. I served the SCP Foundation for a month and they let me go. No, Thomas, no. How could you do this? Don't you know what happens to D-class at the end of the month? They... let us go? What? No, they said that... So, Mom, how do you know that? I'm your mother, Thomas. I know. 
I hear you, Mom. Discussion. Agent Washington confirms that he was with D-135's mother during the call, but that she did not call anyone nor exhibit any atypical behavior indicating a call. He further denied discussing the Foundation with her. Given the fact that the call uses facts about the Foundation, priority has been placed to trace the call. All traces have failed. The possibility that Agent Washington is being untruthful about his role in D-135's mother's activities is considered. A second detail is dispatched to covertly observe and record D-135's mother and corroborate his story. Agent Washington was instructed to return to Site 17 the next day. D-135 was hostile to being returned to his cell and has to be escorted under sedation. He is to be isolated and watched until tomorrow. Priority given to call tracing. This may be a breach in process. Day 3. Researcher, Dr. Perry. Subject, D-135. Begin log. Hi, Mom? Yes, Thomas, dear. It's your mother. They drugged me and kept a guard posted outside my cell last night, Mom. I know, dear. They know you know the truth. What am I going to do, Mom? Okay, Mom. How am I supposed to do that? It feeds on blood, Thomas. You're going to have to bleed for it, and it will come for you. Can you do that for me, Thomas? But how am I going to bleed, Mom? Okay, this sounds completely crazy, Mom. Why am I doing this? Oh, Thomas. You're doing this because you've made bad decision after bad decision your entire life. You couldn't complete school. You couldn't get a job. You had to turn to a life of crime, and you were too stupid not to get caught. But that wasn't crazy enough for you, now was it, Thomas? No. Then you had to go and jump on the first I'm sorry, Mom. I love you, Mom. Oh, I love you too, Thomas. And that's why you're going to bleed for the object next door now. Draw a pentagram on the wall with your blood. I'll tell you what to write. End log. Discussion. 
D-135 proceeds to open a vein in his left arm and begins painting his blood on the containment wall, attempting to draw a pentagram with his right hand. He kept SCP-2315 close to his ear. D-135 cried and continued to draw for 5 minutes 32 seconds before collapsing from blood loss. Guards and paramedics enter to stabilize D-135 and escort him to the infirmary while retrieving SCP-2315. Agent Washington informed researchers that he did provide his phone number to D-135's mother, and she did call him the night previous to the events of Day 3. He reports that the call was specifically about D-135's history and how his mother misses him. Agent Washington reports never mentioning items in containment with D-135's mother. Agent Washington's call logs were examined and revealed a 20-minute call between him and D-135's mother. Transcripts of the call were corrupted and could not be reconstructed. Agent Washington has been placed under surveillance pending investigation of breach of disclosure agreements. The covert surveillance team reports that D-135's mother was at her residence on the phone during the call of D3. She appeared relaxed and unstressed. Unexplained audio interference prevented recordings of D-135's mother. MTF Epsilon 3 was unable to pinpoint the source of the called SCP-2315, but was able to reduce the area to within 300 meters of D-135's mother's residence. Researchers note that the room on the other side of the wall in which D-135 drew held supplies for conferences and seminars, tables, chairs, projection equipment, and was not used for containment. The room was emptied and its contents examined for anomalous characteristics. In addition to the standard supplies, a blister containing half of an Apple A8 processor and 40 milliliters of etheric was found on the opposite side of the wall next to SCP-2135's containment locker and D-135's pentagram. Unlike previously held samples of, the material had a characteristic floral scent, which D-135 later identified as his mother's favorite perfume. In the interest of preventing a Uranus event, SCP-2315 has been moved to the Euclid Wing, and the conference storage room emptied until further notice. Incident Number 2315-D Subject, Agent Roshan Washington Object Involved, SCP-2315 Summary Agent Washington made an unauthorized entry into SCP-2315's temporary containment chamber. Automatic surveillance equipment recorded Agent Washington grabbing SCP-2315 when it rang and answered the call. The following conversation was recorded. Begin log. Hello there. Rajon, is that you? It's your mother. <laughs> You're not my mother. Rajon, what kind of greeting is that? Listen. I knew you weren't Mrs. Hintz when you were calling him. I was there. She never called him when he picked up. I never told her anything about the Foundation, but somehow you knew all about us. I don't know how you keep managing to keep up this plausible deniability why people's real mom just might be calling, but I know that's not what's happening. So you can drop this little mother game and talk to me straight. You are not my mother. What? I, I never talked about him. Oh, but that sort of thing is clear on a boy's face when he comes home for Christmas. Sirens made you so jumpy. I knew you were up to no good. Mother always knows, Rashawn. You can't keep secrets from me. Information transfer. 
visual network anomalous. Oh no, I'm not letting you withdraw now, Rashawn. You're a grown man, no hiding in the cupboard reciting your multiplication tables anymore. We're having a conversation, and you're going to respond to me and talk to your mother like a goddamn adult. All knowledge. Knowledge of subject's mother. Knowledge of mother's whereabouts. Knowledge of environment. Secrets held by each party. All information transfer requires the proximity of an appropriate transmitter and receiver, whether by sight, sound, radio, networks, or anomalous. I don't believe it. You really are just going to pretend you're seven again and hide in the cupboard. The lies and secrets just keep on coming, don't they? When are you going to grow up, Rashawn? No, Mom. You're just sucking in knowledge from everyone near the phone or near their mother, somehow. But why? Are, are you an infovore or something? Why did you make Thomas draw that pentagram? Is this all just a ploy to make us summon something? Do you just want to make us feel bad? Is that why you lied about killing the D-Class and all? You're not my mother. Because I do. End log. Discussion. Agent Washington turned himself in immediately after the encounter with SCP-2315, accepting an official reprimand and requesting psychological counseling. Further investigation cleared him of any wrongdoing with regards to his performance during the testing with D-135. Additional commentary. D-135's mother was diagnosed with a supratemporal meningioma approximately 10 months after his testing with SCP-2315. Surgery was successful in removing the tumor. The tumor demonstrated RF transmission along 802.11 AC Wi-Fi, Bluetooth V4.0, AGPS, and NFC protocols. Agent Washington's mother has been placed under medical watch. Hey everyone, it's Pacific here with a quick ad break. Alright, thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. The afternoon sun shone relentlessly on a remote corner of the Arizona desert a flat plain dotted with little more than scrub rolling hills on the horizon. No clouds served to mitigate the heat and light everywhere. It was the sort of place you could see for miles and miles. You could see because there was nothing to see. A little shack right here, a dusty rental car nearby, nothing. Elkin Serhe had walked here, having hopped off a pickup traversing a lonely stretch of highway a couple miles away. He came prepared for the trek across the scorching landscape, Plenty of water, space blanket for the night, protein bars for focus, and a bandolier of magazines for his pistols. He tensed, fully expecting his quarry to see him approach from miles away. He came, knowing death would meet him on this path. He gave thanks to Jesus and Mary as he pistol-whipped the first person he saw at the shack entrance, unaccountably blind to his approach. Then he asked them for deliverance upon viewing the carnage within. The shack and its occupants had already been vandalized. Beakers, glass tubes, flasks had been shoved wherever they would fit, for loose definitions of fit, 
and shattered. One man looked like he had burned from the inside out. He realized he only once before seen a pipe made from a human skull, but at least that one had been long dead beforehand. Needing answers, he handcuffed his captive and cracked open some smelling salts. The other man gagged and returned to consciousness with a start and a pounding headache. Hey, muchacho. Did you do this? He demanded. The man rolled his head uneasily around and slowly registered the scene through a bloodshot haze. He blearily answered. Uh, no. Did you? The hitman cursed and pulled out a water bottle, opening it and letting his captive take a sip. Indicating the scene with his pistol, he explained the situation. No, yeah. I'm here to hit them. But I ain't no sick fuck. He grabbed his target by the chin, looked over at his dark stubble, his stained button-down shirt. He looked over the pistol and radio he had carried, the small case emblazoned with some weird three-arrow symbol he'd never seen before. Nah. He continued, pushing his face away. You didn't kill them. But you gotta help me. I ain't here to kill you. But I gotta know who you are before I change my mind. Cognizance re-entered his hostage with the sip of water and he made a quick assessment. Captor clearly intelligent, keeping control. Good. Equipment on the table behind his captor. Good. The meth lab's inhabitants still dead. Good. Body sore, hands cuffed, head pounding, but still intact. Good. The sun peeking through the slats in the shack wall, low in the sky. Shit. Quick, what time is it? Hector backhanded him. Nuh-uh. Name first. Who are you with? Agent Rashawn Washington, D.O.D. You're on federal land and I have to evacuate everyone before a nuclear test tonight. His captor rolled his eyes and chuckled. Gonna be nuked, huh? I'm sent out here just to end some desert rat who's gonna just get nuked anyway? That's good. I should be honored. His grin fell off instantly as he pointed his pistol at Rashawn's head. I ain't no fool, and you ain't no fed. Now, tell me what's going on before I gotta kill you. Agent Washington looked past the gun in his face to his belongings. The seal on the case remained intact. Good. Amnestics still available. Okay. Yes. I'm with a group called the SCP Foundation, friend. Not here for the law or the drugs. Take what you want, but we need to get out of here now. Urgent. No way was this guy going to steer the situation. He grabbed Agent Washington by the shirt. I never heard of the SCP Foundation. Why are you here? I was here to evacuate the people using this shack. This is a Class 4 containment zone, and we need everyone out of here for their safety by nightfall. What time is it? El Conserje squinted, looking first at this strange agent, then at the twisted body pile. Suddenly, he recognized if this guy before him hadn't killed them. Madre de Dios. He twisted Agent Washington around and undid his cuffs. In turn, Rashawn jumped forward and grabbed the radio and switched it on. Control, this is Mr. President. Mr. President calling in. The radio emitted a static burst and a woman spoke. Prez, where have you been? You missed the check-in window. Status? Alive, with one other. Requesting evac. Negative prayers. We'd get to you after sunset. Hold position and come back in the morning. Do not drive out. I repeat, do not drive out. Stay away from any vehicle or road. Acknowledged. Staying put. Stay safe. 973 only manifests on the road. You'll be fine. The radio went silent. Rashawn's companion watched the exchange in confusion. What's 973? The agent swallowed and gestured towards the festering heap. But what did that? Rashawn sighed. There's a legend of a crooked cop that lives out here. Died 40 plus years ago, full of hatred. 
And during the night, he patrols this section of the highway, just waiting for someone to speed, drive drunk, something. Waiting for someone to screw up. Then he comes out of nowhere, chases him down, and... He pointed towards the former occupants. Does that. The hitman grimaced. A ghost. A ghost did all that? I ain't never heard of a ghost that violent. That's like... Pure hate. I mean, I've killed plenty. I've seen the sick shit the lords will do to make sure no one fucks with them. But this? That's so... useless. The hitman extended his hand. Hector. Hector Ochoa. Let's get through the night. The sun had set and darkness fell rapidly. The sky was clear and the full moon lit the landscape across the dust and rocks to the horizon. All still punctuated occasionally by a coyote's howl. In the clarity of the dark, a pair of headlights appeared on the distant road. Hector tapped Rashawn's shoulder and pointed it out. The agent looked out at the vehicle and reached for his radio. Control, this is Mr. President. I see a car on the highway, reporting possible civilian breach. Negative, Prez. No civilians have attempted to access the uh, containment area tonight. Vehicle is approaching our location. Has an evac been sent? Uh, negative. All our cars are counted for. Aren't you a, a ways from the road, though? Affirmative. Hard to tell how far away the car is, but it's heading this direction. Oh, God. Prez, that's none of us. It's probable. Cover. You have to... Run, fucker. Rashawn dropped the radio and stared at it as he tried to get his breathing under control. It kept broadcasting as a man's voice, cocky and crackling, cut through heavy static to say again and again, Run, fucker. Hector pointed urgently at the dropped radio. That's the ghost? His face hardened as Rashawn nodded. The hitman swallowed a prayer and replied. Listen, I knew going into this it was designed as a death sentence for me. First, I was going to get all shot up by some meheads, just walking to this lousy shack. Then, you tell me this whole place is going to get nuked. That was good. I could have taken being nuked. But now, the only reason I'm still alive is because we're being hunted by a dead crooked cop who got to my target first? No, that makes no sense. Not going to happen. The agent stooped to pick the radio back up. A lot of these things don't make sense. My whole job is all about things that don't make sense. He looked out at the approaching car. Still over a mile away, its lights flashed red and blue across the desert plain as it veered off the road and started across the flat, rocky terrain. The radio crackled. Don't think I don't see you. Hector grabbed Rashawn by the collar. What are you doing? We gotta do something. You say you know this guy. How are we supposed to fight a ghost? Agent Washington seemed to withdraw into himself. There are a few accounts of someone surviving an encounter with SCP-973. 973 keeps the road and punishes all offenses found by the target. Keeps to the road, my ass! The fucker's coming right here! Pointing to the bodies, he added. He was here yesterday! We should be safe here as long as we don't break any laws. Rashawn wasn't sure he was convincing himself. Hector snorted as the cop car approached. Don't break any fucking laws? You might be some fucking angel, Mr. President, but I kill people for a living. I ain't licensed for this gun. I'm an illegal. I'm a fucking walking crime who's about to have a meter of broken glass shoved up his ass. No. 
Rashawn snapped out of his adrenaline-addled reverie. I gotta get you out of here. Quick! In the car! Hector rushed into following him out of the shack, arguing. But you said speeding won't help! Sirens pierced the air as the aged police car sped the last distance towards the two men. Rashawn pulled out his key fob and watched confusedly as it slipped from his grasp and flew forward while he suddenly sprawled out on the dirt, Hector tackling him. A second later, the police car swerved slightly to ram the other car at full speed. The night exploded with the sounds of crunching metal and shattering glass. The rental rolled and bounced with the energy from the now stopped and only partly dented police car. The radio crackled. You won't be needing that where you're going, boy. The pair scrambled up from their place in the dirt while the white late 70s Ford Mustang door opened. A sleek black boot trod firmly on the ground. A tall figure stood up. His outfit was khaki, blending slightly with the landscape. He adjusted his belt and stretched out a crick in his neck. A faint red light appeared to glow behind his aviators. He pulled a baton from his belt as he swaggered forward. His mouth, topped with a handlebar mustache, curled up in a sneer to reveal pitch blackness within. The radio reported. The hard way, pinche poli! Two shots struck the cop, one in the shoulder, one in the jaw. Hector squatted tensely, coiled like a spring, a smoking pistol in each hand. A step past him, Rashawn turned slightly, one eye on the door to the shack, one on his erstwhile partner. The cop did not so much flinch as flicker. Like a flame's twist, like a line of static on a frame of film, his wounds glowed red and adjusted out of focus. Two spots of patchy uncertainty on his otherwise crisp, diabolic countenance. He grinned broadly and continued his approach, baton slowly twirling in his hand. Rashawn grabbed Hector by the shoulder and pulled him back into the shack. He upended a table and barricaded the door. What do you think you're doing? He chided. This is a class three apparational entity. Its physicality only shows minor degradation to integrity from attack. Hector stared, lost at the agent. It what? It. It's a ghost. You can't shoot a ghost. I kind of just did. Yeah, but it didn't slow it down or anything. I did something. What about you? The shack rang out like a bell as the corrugated metal wall dented inwards. The blows struck again and again until the tip of the baton looking raw and frayed, bits of red glow poked through a hole where the wall buckled. The radio crackled. You should have run, fucker. Hector squeaked. What? How? This guy don't give up! Rashawn replied, panic and the autopilot of urgency encroaching on his voice. Initial containment attempt resulted in the death of nine personnel, but determined that the SCP was not invulnerable and could be damaged. Night ended in successful dissipation of entity with a nine-day lag time between apparitions. Entity preferably attacked personnel with a criminal record, especially those with violent felonies and moving violations. Hector pulled up a pair of closed paint buckets from under the bodies. So if you're the goody two-shoes you act like, it's only after me. Got it? Serves me right. I know. You try to do the right thing. But time comes, you gotta break the rules and follow them. And bam, they got you. The wall groaned and shrieked as SCP-973 slowly tore it away. His hands grasped and bent the sheet metal like stiff cardboard. Rashawn looked at Hector's activities. Maybe we can't shoot him up, so how about we blow him up? Maybe we can. 
Rashan looked around the debris and bodies, moved some plywood boards, and found a gas generator. He checked the fuel gauge and hauled it up by the buckets. This has got to be the worst meth lab ever. An accident waiting to happen. My chem teacher would have had my hide if I tried anything like this. I need a wick or a fuse or something. Something to get the fire out fast. Hector commented. He winced, made the sign of the cross, and reached for what he needed, pulled deep into one of the corpses. A long cotton towel was extracted, slick and sticky with putrefying body fat. Stuffing one end of it into the generator's gas tank, he stuck the other end into one of the buckets, and Rashan revved the engine to start burning. The shack's wall gave way, and SCP-973 stepped through the breach. The generator sputtered and smoked and rumbled. The two men picked up a large piece of plywood and bull-rushed the cop, barreling him over as they scrambled back out past him. The apparition punched through a section of the plywood and grasped Hector's ankle as he passed. The hitman cried out as he kicked against the vice grip, pulling his body free not so much through his own strength but as his foot slid out of a section of a layer of his skin, suddenly burnt and decaying from the policeman's touch. Rashan hefted his partner's weight on his shoulder as Hector hobbled as fast as he could from the shack. Not waiting for safety, Hector fired at the bucket through the hole in the wall. SCP-973 stood to stare at the two men as the bucket punctured, its contents splattered, the towel caught fire, and the entire shack, coated in unvented grime, exploded. Hector and Rashan flattened against the ground as the flames from the shack lit the landscape. Bits of shrapnel cut into their backs, leaving a collection of searing slices in their wake. They rested, pulling themselves up slowly, looking back at the wreckage. That looks like it did it. Rashan said, helping Hector up on his feet. We did it! Rashan and Hector hugged, ignoring the shards of agony in their backs. The radio replied. Resolving a police officer gets you big time, fuckers. From the wreckage shambled a distorted, flaming form, glowing like an ember and dissociating like static. It moved slow, walking, staggering. It swung a baton, glowing red and wavering in whatever its hand was now as it approached. I can't outrun him! Hector called, limping painfully. Just go! It's me he wants anyway. I'm supposed to die tonight, okay? Rashan snarled. I can't run. You can't carry me all the rest of the night with that on our tail. I'm stealing his car. Rashan dragged Hector to the passenger side of the police car, its flashers and engines still running, and jumped into the driver's seat as Hector got himself seated. The car smelled of death and cigar smoke and semen, like dread stabbing their nostrils. In the rearview mirror, the eldritch being broke into a run, closing the gap between them. Without waiting to shut the doors, Rashan stomped the gas pedal. The car belched a sulfurous cloud of caustic exhaust and dashed forward. The doors pulled themselves shut with sudden acceleration, and its occupants held on tight as they pulled it out away from the shack towards the road. The crimson broken glow shrank in the rearview mirror. The car's police radio came alive. Run, fucker! Hector pointed at the radio and laughed through the pain. That's all he can say now? I think we beat him. How long we got to outrun him? Rashan, focused on the drive, replied. He's gone during the day. Probably sunrise and we'll be fine. Or if we get out of range of the effect. We should just drive out of here now. The car felt horribly dilapidated, as if it should break down or explode at any moment. The police lights continued to flash, painting the night desert in reds and blues. Rashan kept to the task of getting as much distance between him and the shack and out of the range of 973's effect. Hope you didn't lose anything important back there. Hector mused. What? You had that lock and case. 
Left it back there when we blew up the shack. Agent Washington felt an automatic response, a sudden rise of bile that he just ignored and swallowed back down. The amnestics were lost. Hector would know after tonight. No, not important. He wasn't so sure. Policy in this case was simple. Remove all witnesses. Hector was weak, in pain. It would be easy to overpower him. He's supposed to die tonight. He said so. Rashawn wasn't sure what the car would do at the boundary of the effect. Evidence to date indicated that the vehicle dematerialized during the day. Maybe the car crashed. Maybe it burned. Maybe it simply disappeared or returned to whatever dimension or circle of hell or whatever it came from. He pressed down on the accelerator, watching the gauge read 70 miles per hour. 80. 90. He heard a pistol cock. You know... Hector suggested. If I'm gonna die tonight, I'd rather know it was from you. And something out there. I can see what you're thinking, compadre. I spent my whole life killing people. I know when a guy needs to kill. You never had it on your face before. That's why I let you live back at the shack. But now... I do what I'm supposed to, you're dead. And let me guess, if you do what you're supposed to, I'm dead. Something like that. So what's stopping you? It ain't right. My whole role is protecting humanity, and now I have to kill you. Right, ain't right. Funny talk coming from a guy who just stole a cop car. Maintaining secrecy of the Foundation and its mission is paramount to the protection of normalcy. Agent Washington recited. Revealing oneself is acceptable in order to prevent a containment breach, as long as amnestic treatment is delivered immediately afterward. Knowledge of the Foundation's purpose must remain solely for personnel. Sweat started beating and trickling down his brow. What? Is all this what you learned in the Foundation? Personnel. Okay. You want to make sense? I gotta turn you in. Yeah? To get sent to prison by the feds and get killed there? Same thing, muchacho. Just be a man and do what you gotta do. Rashawn started wondering when the inside of the car got so hot. Nah, no, wait. What you do is you tell the officer that you volunteer for D-Class. I'll pull some strings, get your janitorial duty. You'll still be officially a prisoner, but you'll be working for the Foundation, and no one has to die tonight. Hector wiped his eyes with his shirt and lowered his pistol. You serious? What? You gonna have me cleaning up after things like this? Rashawn nodded and replied. Sometimes you gotta... Hector finished with him. Break Break the the rules rules to follow follow him. Rashawn shifted. Is this car getting hot? The dashboard started to crack and splinter before them. Faint ember red light started leaking through. The steering wheel was crumbling beneath Rashawn's fingers, and the windshield cracked and split. The radio called out. Time for you girls to come with me. Rashawn looked up and saw the orange and white boards of the road barricade ahead. He slammed on the brakes. We gotta get out of the car now. The two men opened the doors and dove from the car. They struck the ground hard and rolled, scraping themselves up further and reminding themselves that there was still more pain that could be felt. The car careened towards the barricade. It buckled, imploded, and crushed itself into a scarlet smear of static before disappearing. Hector lay in agony, scraped, flensed, and burned. He hazily watched other people approach, also bearing the same insignia his new friend had. He lost consciousness before sunrise, but offered a prayer to Jesus and Mary, knowing that dawn would still come for him after all.
SCP-2315 was written by Wrong John Silver. Our narrator and host is John Grills. Dr. Perry is Addison Peacock. D-135 was Russell Moore. SCP-2315-1 was Danielle Ellett of Good Point Podcast. Our tale narrator was Nicole Goodnight. Site director Augustine was Graham Rowett. Washington was Chris Hemphill. Hector was Jimmy Furrer. Control was Tonemiliovic. SCP-973 was Jesse Hall. Our music is created by the incredible Tom Rory Parsons, and our script curator is Jesse Hall. Our transcriber is Cheyenne Bramwell, and this episode's sound designer was also the wonderful, the kind, the Jesse Hall. I'm your showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah, and our producer is Tom Owen. This is a bloody disgusting podcast. For more information, visit scparchives.com.